Hello, welcome or welcome back to the Just Eat Normally podcast for eating disorder recovery with me, Dr. Rachel Evans. I am a psychologist, hypnotherapist with a PhD in the psychology of eating and specialist training in eating disorder recovery as well as personal experience of going through an eating disorder and coming out the other side which makes me super passionate about what I do and in every episode as with my one-to-one clients I'm bringing you academic knowledge, information and theories as well as therapeutic skills and personal experiences, be that mine or experiences of my guests, for a unique perspective on eating disorder recovery. So join me on this podcast as I speak to fellow experts in eating disorder recovery, eating disorder survivors with inspiring stories, and also throw in some bite-sized solo episodes with recovery tips or new ways for you to think about things. The goal of this podcast is to give you food for thought, to shift your mindset, to boost your motivation, and to help you find your own version of normal eating, which will allow you to live a truly nourished life. Hey everyone and welcome back to Just Eat Normally podcast. Today I am so excited um, that we have Sophie Gray. If you have not come across her before, she is the founder of Dive Through. It's a mental wellness company um, that helps you dive through what you go through and they work with mental health professionals to create resources that can help you take charge of your mental well-being And she also shares her work to an audience of over 400,000 through her personal social channels. Uh, I definitely uh, recommend you check out her Instagram, which obviously is going to be linked um, in the show notes. And I just love Sophie because she has such an inspirational story and she is just so honest. Uh, I think that's kind of what draws people um, to her. And she's kind of been featured in Cosmopolitan, People, Women's Health. Refinery29, Mary Claire, Yahoo, Shape, Self, and could probably go on um, for a lot more. So uh, she's done a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure how old she is, but she's not that old. Um, she's, she's done a lot. 27. Yeah. 27. Don't, just oh yeah. Yeah. You're just one of those like get up and go people, I think. I just get the impression that anything you turn your mind to, you are doing it like 100% and seeing it through. Yeah, that would definitely explain what, you know, sometimes to a fault, but you know, Mm -hmm. that's when you're wired that way, it just is what it is. Yeah. So I suppose one of the first um, things that I saw and I knew you for kind of putting this dedication into that um, people might not know that you actually used to be a fitness influencer um, Mm -hmm. in almost former life. Um, And so I just love to know, like, how did you come to being the fitness influencer with your own programs and like huge following? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, right in high school, I was really fortunate that we fortunate in a way um, we had a gym full time in our school. So we had this gym with a full time personal trainer and I got really into working out and eating a certain way, but it was entirely motivated for the wrong reasons. I had really wanted to be a model and I needed to get these certain measurements to be able to do so. So I really, I guess you can call it like a true obsession um, when I was 16, 17, 18. And right when I graduated high school, I had started posting on Instagram as a way to document my modeling portfolio, which really didn't have a lot going on. But through that, I also started to, you know, post what the types of workouts I was doing, what I was eating. And and this was back in beginning of 2013 when Instagram wasn't what it is today. The idea of an influencer didn't at all exist, um, but people, you know, took notice and were super interested. And you know, over a number of years, I grew from you know, of course, zero to over 500,000 followers. Um, but in the reality, I was definitely engaging in what appeared to be healthy behaviors, but really weren't healthy for me. So you know, as much as I tried to make it appear healthy, you know, coming from a place of self-love, it definitely wasn't rooted in that for me. Um, but it was just, yeah, very unhealthy dynamic with social media of posting and then people giving you validation. And it was just this like ongoing cycle. So, um, you know, back then no one really set out to be an influencer, at least I didn't, and definitely stumbled into it really young at 18 when, you know, I hadn't necessarily even found myself yet. Yeah, I was one of those followers. I was like, I want to look like her. Um, And I guess, how did the fitness plans and stuff come about? Because I did buy them. They were actually good, to be fair. They were effective. Um, But like, how did they um, kind of come about? Yeah. So, um, you know, very early on when I started posting and started to get the momentum, I had purchased for Christmas, a recipe book from someone that I had followed. And again, you know, putting your mindset in 2013, this didn't happen. There wasn't people creating programs as there are today. Um, so I remember buying this book and I was like, Hmm, like I want to do this. And I hadn't, you know, even though I was working out, I didn't have any certifications or anything like that. So as much as I accidentally got into, you know, into social media, I very purposely started this fitness business. So um, at that time I was like, okay, like, what do I need to do to be able to do this? So I went and I did a certification for fitness. Um, But then I also started to partner with other fitness professionals um, that were training me to, for them to create the workouts and then for me to be really the face of them. So I still, you know, to this day, um, even though I'm very separated from that life, I still am very proud of the work that we did because they were helpful. They were, you know, they were properly done, but, you know, it was the intention behind them for myself personally wasn't the healthy thing. Um, so yeah, I really had wanted at the time to create an accessible mentor, accessible fitness program. Um, and yeah, I, I figured it out. I learned how to create the eBooks to create the landing page and to create everything that went into that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was very intentional and very much learning on the way and, you know, it evolved from 
one book that had 10 workouts with pictures and like little videos to um, 30 day, 60 day, 90 day, a year program that had a video you could follow along to. So very much like what Jillian Michaels was, but um, yeah, I figured out how to do that, you know, by myself. And that was a, you know, beginning stage of my entrepreneurial spirit, I guess. But um, yeah, I wanted to create and capture what the interest was of my audience. So it was like, what are you eating? How are you working out? And that's really where they started from. Yeah, they were very professionally done. Um, I also enjoyed that one you did with the yoga mm-hmm. um, bits, although I was not in a good place myself when I was buying them. Like I say, I was like looking, I want to look like her. Let me do this workout like more times than you had even said to do it mm-hmm. because I think people have that mentality you know, oh, more is going to be better or in terms of food oh, less is going to be better when that's not really um how it actually plays out and yeah we had a little chat uh, before we went on and I think you very nicely said like it's accountability on the part of the person putting out the content but also the user as well we can kind of say mm-hmm. we want about certain influencers who might not be doing something that we deem to ethical or it's not really our style but then it's also our choice to consume it and like how we use that content mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel very strongly about like consumption because that's what at the end of the day, we're consuming content online just as we watch a TV show, as a movie, whatever it might be. And Instagram, social media influencers have definitely blurred that line where someone following them thinks that that's, you know, they're standing beside them. That is who they are. That is every like everything we need to know about them is on their social platforms. And especially back then when it was really new, that isn't the case. And, you know, as much as an influencer, I believe has accountability to their audience, that audience member can also be perpetuating these unhealthy behaviors. And, you know, there's a reason like that when we look at who's most popular, that it's often thin um, white women, because that's who we want to consume. And that's who we want to watch. And we're perpetuating that cycle. But then also influencers have that responsibility to, you know, check their own motivations. Why are they doing what they are doing? So as much as my workouts were, you know, properly done, the intention behind them for, for myself, they weren't healthy for me. And I feel like I don't want to even necessarily say like energetically, but I think that was like transferred and it was Mm -hmm. definitely, you know, both parties played a role in, you know, how unhealthy they could have become for them. Yeah. I think that time as well, like 2013, 2014 was like in England anyway, like the rise of the wellness blogger as well. And I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. who were into that were looking to those people um to almost give you the magic answer well what should I eat to get rid of my bloating or what should I do and almost yeah not having that internal filter of like okay where is this information coming from is this going to apply to me um Mm -hmm. I know in my own journey as well a point that I was quite um vulnerable for other reasons for getting into health and fitness like as much as I did you just happened to be the person that I was like oh this girl (laughs) Mm -hmm. girl and it's also you direct your energy towards that person. Right. And, you know, even myself, like I was in a vulnerable place and I was looking, you know, I was looking for something to follow just as my followers were. Mm -hmm. And when, and that's when it can become very unhealthy because there's also that expectation. Like I always remember 
people thought that I would be experts in everything, which is so weird. Even when I got married, which was, you know, a number of years after I stopped fit, like the fitness side of things, people were like, okay, so tell me everything that you're doing with your wedding as if I was somehow now an expert in that. And there's this, you know, people, you know, latch on, I think to creators because they want to, you know, see themselves in that way as well. And, you know, I don't mean that negatively. I think that's like human psychology. I think it's called like parasocial relationships and such. And, you know, it just can be so unhealthy. Um, And it's a lot of responsibility to put on the influencer as well, especially when a lot of people on, you know, on social media up until recently weren't qualified individuals. So that's why I'm so excited to see people like yourself sharing and, you know, qualified um, dietitians, mental health professionals, but qualified people now stepping up because I think there was that void that people just then kind of like followed whoever they could, you know, see and wanted to be. And I think that's just so unhealthy. Yeah, definitely agree. I think it comes with both sides. Like you say, if you're being asked those questions, about anything or everything you probably do feel a bit of a responsibility to your followers to answer and then I saw this funny meme and um, the other day with, that was like oh the former experts in like COVID are now experts on Afghanistan and it is also like totally. the flip side you get these people who just suddenly pop out and tell you everything about everything and you're like hmm not sure about the evidence base behind what you're saying which is their life <laughs> but it's, it's harmful on Instagram um mm-hmm. but it's for us to like they have that bit of a filter for ourselves um mm-hmm. and sort of question that which is not always easy when you're just scrolling and you're there for a break um I will say um mm-hmm. so people have probably guessed by now uh, or we even told them at the beginning that you're not a f- fitness influencer um uh, anymore and so what was the decision um point to stop that and I also know that you sort of deleted all of that content as well Mm -hmm. which seems like quite a bold move actually when you build it up so much like could you talk Mm -hmm. to us a little bit about that yeah so you know in my my journey with the fitness influencer it became it became increasingly competitive and you know at the time this would have been like 2015 2016 the newest thing was traveling and getting you know fitness photos and like exotic places on the beach and all of these things and um having I've been someone that never really into travel and just not it's not been you know something that I loved I was like still going to do it. So I was traveling. I believe there was like a 40 day span where I was trapped. Like I was out of town for 30 days, but it was like seven different trips. So it was home and then gone and all of this stuff. So, um, I was in New York for work. I was talking on a panel in the Hamptons about health and wellness, um, and on the connecting flight. So for me, it would have been connecting a 60 minute flight to Toronto and then a four hour flight to my hometown here in Edmonton. And I had a panic attack on the connecting flight. So when I landed, he was my boyfriend, then he's my husband now, but I said, like, you need to drive me across the country. Um, so we did, and it was a 38 hour drive. So rather than four hours with my thoughts, I chose 38 and I had panic attacks the entire time. We were in like the middle of Wisconsin where like it's actually could be unsafe because there was literally no one around. It was just wide open space. And I had um, text a friend, actually Jana, uh, Jana Romer from um, the, the yoga program. Oh, yeah. And I had said, I was like, hey, like I need something. Is there a book I can read? Is there something I can take? Like I need something. And she was like, no, like you need to sit with this and you need to like go through this. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, no, like I know, like I need tangible advice. 
And, but I had no choice because we were, you know, it was like 2am in the middle of Wisconsin. And I had this kind of like moment that you have in the movies where like, they like go through your entire life and you just like see all these moments. And for me, it was to really, I was really seeing all of the ways and the theme of my life had been ignoring myself and, you know, pushing down how I truly felt and basically like running away from who I was. And it was just this like montage of my life and the ways that I've done that and how I couldn't do that anymore because I, my body physically couldn't handle it. And I needed to take a step back. So when I arrived home from that drive, I really realized that, yeah, I had to work on myself. I had to separate myself from this identity that I had built on social media. Um, So there was, yeah, a lot of self-work and reflection and mental health, like going to therapy and working, you know, with mental health interventions. But then also there was a lot of learning around how what I was engaging in was unhealthy for myself and other people. Um, You know, the term diet culture wasn't something that was widely known then, at least in like the kind of mainstream conversation. And I really started to unpack all the ways that I was perpetuating these unhealthy ideals and started, it was really like, there was like this personal mental health journey, but then there was also this like larger accountability journey and like, you know, understanding the social systems at play and, you know, the much more, um, you know, deeper aspects and deeper harm that, you know, what this world was causing of fitness. So, um, yeah, you know, it took me a long time to kind of talk more also about the business side, because I had a multi-million dollar business that I stepped away from. And I realized I made the decision for myself, but also for other people, because I knew if I was feeling this way, my audience was probably feeling this way. And I was probably like perpetuating that for other people. So, um, you know, it definitely was, it was a hard decision, but also an easy one because I couldn't not, I had to, I, I got to the point where it wasn't necessarily a choice. It was a necessity, um, you know, to kind of paint the picture. Like I felt like someone could have placed their hand on my head and I would have crumbled to dust. I felt so unsafe and so vulnerable in my mind. I couldn't do anything else. So, um, you know, of course now this, this was meant to happen. Um, it was obviously a very traumatic experience, but, you know, I also think that like life finds a way if you're not in alignment with, you know, what you're meant to do or, you know, taking care of yourself, there'll be that moment for you that makes you have to take care of yourself. And that panic attack was mine. Yeah. I think that sounds like it takes a lot of courage to stand up to that like you're saying when it's your identity has been wrapped up in that your business your finances like you had so much invested in that to say actually I'm listening to what my body's saying I'm going to take that step back and listen to my thoughts to learn more about this I think that takes a lot of courage and like says a lot about you Mm -hmm. and yeah like I and I think that also like it was who I was, who I thought Mm -hmm. I was. It was my business. It was my aspirations. It was my ambition. It was everything. And then it all came crashing down. It was kind of like, okay, well, what am I left with? And, you know, I feel very passionately, of course, about mental health, but also about talking about you. Like we, we chatted about like the way we consume creators online, because it's very unhealthy for everyone involved 
because, you know, we get so wrapped up in who we are on social media. And then I, I just always don't like when people are like, we'll just get off social media. I'm like, it's not that simple because social media is here to stay. We need to find, have conversations about how to healthily engage with it. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, now when I look at my channels, it is such an afterthought. You know, it's, it's, it's a tool for me. It's there that I can use and engage with how I want. But before it was like, a necessary like needed it was who I was everything was wrapped up in it and like it is so freeing to just not have that sort of relationship with the platform anymore yeah I guess yeah I was gonna say I guess how did you get to that point but I think you've already told us because I was thinking oh if people are recognizing themselves now or maybe I am wrapped up in it maybe I'm creating this content just for other people but it's not that good for me without needing to have a breakdown um Mm. do you have any tips for how people might um be able to start to like work their way out of it maybe in Mm -hmm. a slower kind of way yeah like I think I always you know like to start with like what is important to you what do you value in life and you know there's the surface level like I value family I value this but it's like but are, are your actions reflecting that or is right now your true value being accepted and having more like following more fame, whatever we want to call it, and really being honest with yourself about your motivations and the way that you're engaging in the platforms. And could what would happen if that disappeared tomorrow? What would you do? How would you feel? What would like, what would be taken from your life? And if it's validation and acceptance, then you are not engaging in the platform healthily. And I think, you know, it's always good to remind people we all want validation. We all want acceptance. Our brains are hardwired for that. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's like, where are you looking from it for? Like, where are you looking to have acceptance from? And ultimately, you know, you want to be able to give that to yourself, but you also want, you know, to have people in your life and like your solid foundation, whether your family, your partner, your friends, coworkers, whatever that might be. Um, and then, you know, having your basic needs ultimately met first. So I think it starts with that like serious reflection and then seriously asking yourself, like, how does this platform make you feel? And, you know, journaling to me is really the medium that I connect with. And, you know, you can explore that in therapy, whatever, you know, speak it out loud to yourself in the mirror um, and then start to, you know, reclaim aspects of your life and, you know, healthy boundaries around phone time, you know, being off, having your phone down at nighttime, you know, having more of a routine is, I think there's kind of like the two, there's like, sure, there's the physical habits, but it really does start with the intention and, you know, really diving deeply into uh, more of like your mindset and your thoughts towards the platforms itself. Yeah, I definitely spent a lot of time on social media. So I also had a health blog after the, after, well, probably during my eating disorder as well, but like health food blog. And then I was using it, um, kind of like you were saying, oh, people like smoothie bowls. Oh, I'm going to make another smoothie bowl tomorrow because people are liking that. And then I think I did that reflection. Oh, this is not helping me and my relationship with food. Um, I did have a point in telling the story. Doesn't come about. So, and you think at the time, like you were kind of saying, oh, I'm going to lose so much, but actually you're gaining so much at the same time that, yeah, you can be sad that you don't have that aspect of your life anymore. And that's okay to feel sad about it, but also looking at all the other things that you've gained because of it. So for me, for example, maybe like 
having a chilled out breakfast with my boyfriend, now husband, rather than me trying to take 10 pictures, probably 20 pictures of my smoothie bowl. He's eaten his food. Like mm-hmm. there's always that flip um, positive side. And I doubt anyone ever regrets um, making a change like that when, like you say, they find that freedom. And it sounds like you have found like another sense of purpose um, mm-hmm. as well away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, I love the use of like the word freedom. Like I cannot tell you how empowering and incredible it is, is like who I am isn't on my phone. Like, it's not like I'm a, I'm a functioning person in the world now, which is so like, so seems so silly to say, but when you're wrapped up in social media and especially when your livelihoods wrapped up in it, you, I just feel like you're like a shell of a human moving from post to post. And it's like, you're living your life by that and by comment, by like, and then now it's just like sitting on my phone and it's like, you know, sometimes I won't even go into my large account for like four days. Cause I'm on, you know, I have a personal account that I just share unfiltered photos of my nieces and my nephew and like actually use it because like it's documenting my life. And yeah, I just like being able to separate your sense of self-worth from your platform then actually helps you like engage and it should be fun. And for a lot of people, it's not fun anymore. And I get like, I guess that people say, oh, well, it's a job. It doesn't always have to be fun. And I'm like, yeah, sure. But you should also like, it would be also great if you had fun at work. So yeah. And if you are using it for work, then being able to separate the two and being like, this is my business. And then this is who I am as a person and being able to disconnect them because that's absolutely necessary. Whether your, your business is social media or a startup or your career or whatever it might be super important to separate them. Yeah, totally agree. I get your point when people say, oh, but it's my job. But yeah, you wouldn't be expected to work any other job until like nine or 10 o'clock at night. Well, possibly some people do, but then that's (laughs) how bad. Yeah, even that you're like, (laughs) that's not healthy either. So right, like you're up on it, you're immediately checking comments and then you're like doing like, yeah, it's just absolutely consumes your whole world and that's just not good for anyone. Yeah, I think it's finding what works for different people because it's so interesting. I think when I was, living by myself or as living with housemates and me posting my smoothie ball was like that fit but then also when my life changed that didn't fit anymore so it might be actually someone is producing this content Instagram fit in very well like maybe when you started using it you were saying like felt kind of nice sharing your journey and then I think it's knowing when has it taken that turning point that it's no longer helpful anymore Mm -hmm. Exactly. And like, you know, now I'm in my, I guess I'm in my late 20s. And I actually was just interviewed um, for a podcast where the podcast host was 15. And it was just, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I don't want to be preaching. But who I was, you know, in at 18 when I started the channel to who I was in my early 20s to now is a completely different person. And, you know, I, I wonder if I had kept on going, if I would have become, you know, who I am today, I don't think so. It would have been a different version um, of myself, but yeah, there's growth where, yeah, absolutely. At first it was fun and then it was not fun at all. And then now it's fun again. Cause again, you're, you know, disconnecting you, your worth as a person to your social media following and engagement. Yeah. I've been doing this thing with my um, clients recently. It's called like the bill of rights. Um, but we have kind of statements about like, I have the right to be treated as an equal human being and just stuff like that. Uh, But one of them is like, I have the right to change my mind. I think sometimes that is so difficult when we set out our stall on something like my blog was always like, oh, this is sugar-free. This is, it always had to be something free. It could never just be like, this is 
a standard granola. It had to be like sugar-free, oil-free, whatever else, free, gluten-free. Um, and then I changed my mind, which some we kind of sometimes feel like we're not allowed to when you've invested so much in it. But like you were saying, actually, once we've got other information or it feels different, like we have that right to change mm-hmm. our mind. Um, I just wanted to add that in as well. I love that. And it's also about growth and especially, you know, from the fitness, from the nutrition recipe side, we all, we didn't know we, there was, we didn't know that we were engaging in unhealthy behaviors Mm -hmm. and, you know, especially thinking of diet culture and the larger, you know, um, systemic problems around, you know, fat phobia and, you know, all of these issues, But when you learn it, then it's like you have an accountability to then do something about it. And there's no problem if you didn't know you didn't know. But now that you do, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to have the courage to move forward and to change and to admit that you were wrong? Because then if you don't, then that's when you get defensive and that's when you have people having problems. No one's expecting you to know know everything. But when you have something brought to your attention, you have the responsibility to act and to move forward. Um, even if what you were doing previously was harmful, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. And that's why I think I also like there, there was a part of me that had a lot of guilt in what I like, you know, what I had built. But I also was a, you know, a victim of it. And then I perpetuated it in a way that we all do. But it's all about that accountability piece. And yeah, being okay that you were wrong and that you changed your mind about something. Yeah, I think it's so easy to fall into like, I'll call it the diet culture trap. But even when I was doing my master's in health psychology, a lot of the papers I was reading would talk about the obesity epidemic and like, this is the short condensed version. It didn't quite say it like this. It was more academic language, but almost like we need to help people eat less sugar. Everyone should eat less sugar. And then I almost, I'll use the word brainwash. I know it wasn't quite like that, but I almost, I was reading and consuming all of this. I was like, all of this must be true. I didn't really think to look for another narrative because it didn't fit in with what I was doing and the kind of research that I was doing and the other papers that I was reading. And then I think once I'd had the eating disorder, partly because of that, partly because of life factors. And like we said, other vulnerabilities and things, but I realized, Ooh, that thing that I wrote in that paper, I definitely wouldn't say that again, um, today. Mm -hmm. So definitely Mm -hmm. learning more. Um, yeah. So I guess in your, um, story was that anxiety attack, was that also part of the motivation for dive through or did that come from somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I had the the panic attack and I stepped back from everything, I was desperately looking for something to fill the void that I had felt that I had. And at the same time, I was like, you know, I was obsessed with finding the thing that was broken in me, that missing piece. And at the time, you know, back yeah, 2015, 2016, there wasn't Mental health education wasn't what it is today, especially when we look at so many incredible mental health professionals on Instagram that didn't exist. But what did exist was a lot of self-help, which is not mental health education or support, but it's a lot of pick yourself up by your bootstraps, think more positively, manifest your best life. It's a lot of like it was branded and positioned as support for like your mind and such, but it really wasn't. 
So I was really frustrated because I was reading all these self-help books and I just felt like shit. I felt worse because they made it seem like there was something missing and that there was a void that I needed to fill. Um, when in reality, I was in a mental health crisis. I needed mental health um, support and education and intervention. But then, you know, through my um, like research and findings, I also found that the mental health education side, like the psychology today, psych central, very well mind was very robotic and very academic and very, you know, jargon filled with words that I didn't know how to pronounce, let alone knew what they meant. Um, So I really saw that there was this need for a mental health resource that was relatable and made you feel seen and was branded in a way that, you know, connects with you and, you know, utilizes social media in a way that young people are, but was also created and monitored and educated by mental health professionals that had, you know, their, they were psychologists, social workers, counselors, whatever it might be. So it was really from my, you know, when I was recovering from this, like this panic attack that I really saw that there was this gap in the space because at the time it wasn't a industry, which I hate that it is now, but there wasn't these resources, you know, headspace and calm were really And really, as they even are today, like the main tools, but meditation still isn't, isn't the solution. It's understanding yourself. And, you know, I use the example of like had chronic panic attacks or I was having panic attacks seven days a week. And when I started to learn what a panic attack was, what it was doing in my mind, what it was doing physically in my body, which chemicals were being released, all of these things that was so empowering to me that I was like, okay, so the next time I had a panic attack. I knew, like, I don't like using this word, but I wasn't going insane. Mm-hmm. I wasn't losing my mind. I wasn't going to die because I was equipped with this knowledge about what was actually happening. And then I had, you know, the, the language to communicate with myself and to better understand my, my mind and my, my mental health. So that was really where, you know, I think this panic attack, but then the frustration of not having accessible resources. You know, I have always been very fortunate to be able to afford therapy that informed a lot of, you know, the work that I've done in recovery I've had, but you know, $200 a session, that isn't realistic. Even for me, like it was like a decision my husband and I had to make that like, we needed to, I needed to commit to therapy. And it was like, you know, what other compromises are we making? But that's just so out of the wheelhouse for so many people. So, yeah, I think it was that experience within the pain point of that accessibility when it came to mental health education. It's so interesting that you just said that because I just always had a light bulb as well. So with my um, story as well, like I was struggling in sort of 2014 with very restrictive eating, overexercising, and then... At the time, I didn't admit that I had a problem, but I think when I was sort of coming around to the fact that maybe not everything is okay, then actually I was trying to read blogs and I was trying to get help from the internet, but I was still finding like, oh, this isn't actually helpful. Um, So that is quite a good point that you made, actually. I think the quality of resources um, that we have available today is hopefully touch wood a lot better. (laughs) We try Mm -hmm. and post helpful things as well, but that that is so interesting. I never thought about that. before but um yeah so you kind of told us a little bit about um drive through in terms of like um the professionals are there um so I guess what do you offer people and like how can it help people Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. So what you can do, um, so you go into the app store and you search dive through and you'll find our app. So once you download the app, we have a feeling tracking. So every day you're asked how you're feeling and you're asked to provide a little more context to that emotion. Um, being able to firstly identify and self-regulate by understanding your, you know, what you're feeling is such a foundational tool and ability that we're not taught at all. Like, you know, to recognize our feelings, it's more like, oh, I'm feeling happy. Great. But if I'm feeling sad, let's just pretend that doesn't exist. So starting off with like, you know, the very basics. Um, So once you input how you're feeling, um, you then are offered up a number of resources that can help whatever that feeling might be. So we have um, in the app, we have articles, we have journal exercises, we have audio exercises. So audio for us is, you know, a breathing exercise, a visualization exercise, you know, a mindful walk. Um, So using audio format for many different ways. Um, But then kind of most, I don't want to say most importantly, but the biggest feature for us is our courses and our practices. So we have mental health courses on different topics. So like I mentioned, having a panic attack, we have an entire course on panic attacks. We have a course on um, disordered eating. So really in depth, you know, what is disordered eating? What does, you know, the different types of eating disorders, you know, then the tools you can follow up with them about. So a range of courses and then our practices basically take those courses and put them into action. So for example, we'll have a mindfulness course and then we'll have a mindfulness practice where over 30 days you'll engage in those mindfulness tools that we would have introduced to you in the course itself. So really wanting to give people the resources, the education, and then the tangible tools so that they can learn about a topic and then move forward, manage, address um, preventively, you know, in the moment, whatever that might be. And then one thing I will say is that all of our content and all of our resources are created with mental health professionals, um, but we love therapy. We love medication. Um, I think it's really scary to see when so many mental health the, you know, air quote, mental health tools position themselves as self-therapy or, you know, replace your therapist or things like that. You know, that is never our intention. Um, Of course, if you're in therapy, it's great to do alongside um, those sessions, but by no means are we replacing those. So I always feel, you know, of course I'm here to market and position, but I also like, you know, I feel I have that like duty of care um, with, with the platform. So Um, But yeah, that's the rundown. Um, It's free to use. So, you know, the feeling tracking free, there's a number of resources, like 90% of our resources are always free. Um, And you can also see like we have hundreds of blogs on divethrough.com as well for people to scroll through. Amazing. I didn't realize it was mostly um, free. I had like a little quick look on the website and and stuff. Uh, That's amazing. I think like you said, even the emotion tracking, um, especially since a lot of people that listen to this will have um, disordered eating and eating disorder or know someone that is I think one big component of that is either emotion blocking or like coping with emotions using food by restricting mm-hmm. and I think even that checking in with emotions is such a good way into being able to cope with them in a better way and like you said realizing actually okay because I'm feeling really sad today that's not a bad thing it's how I'm feeling that's okay and that acceptance um, which I think Mm -hmm. comes from mindfulness um, and awareness as well and I really like how you said like there's the education but then how to implement it because it's all well and good like knowing some facts it's like I'm not a big fan when people just like try out loads of statistics about eating disorders I'm like fine okay it's good to recognize this is the extent of the 
issue, but it's not really telling someone how they can then recover um, mm-hmm. or take a positive step. So I think that implementing is like super important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I think with the emotion and the feeling as well, you know, emotions and feelings, they're not a bad thing. Like mm-hmm. that is what it means to be human, but they become problematic when you ignore them and when you shove them down and when you don't want to, you know, acknowledge them. Hello, panic attack. That's what it was entire, like on the airplane. It was because I was pretending I was fine. And I wasn't, I was like that uh, meme of the dog in like the fire room being like, it's fine. And I think getting in that practice, like it's so simple, but, you know, I think a lot of therapists speak how that's, you know, the main thing that they want their clients to be doing is to be able to recognize and acknowledge, and then maybe you do something about them. And we have, you know, we have those resources, but maybe all you need is actually just to, you know, take a moment to be like, well, how am I feeling today? And it's just so simple, but such a powerful tool. Um, and yeah, it helps, you know, realize that not emotions aren't bad or good. They just are what they are. Yeah. It's making me think just going back to leaving it to the beginning about social media. Like I don't love this phrase, um, but it gets used a lot, almost that toxic positivity that you, not you specifically, the general you, uh, feels the need to put out, oh, this is going really well. That's going really well. Or something bad happens, but you make a positive spin on it. And yes. Okay. That is sometimes a helpful um technique we don't want everything to be all doom and gloom but trying to paint sunshine and rainbows over something very difficult that's happened isn't Mm -hmm. always you know the most helpful way to process it to deal with it like to move on um Mm -hmm. from that thing I wondered if you had any thoughts about positivity yeah I feel very passionately about talks and positivity because I think that's what the self-help his because it's like it's like when I say pick yourself up by your bootstraps like I know that's like the old school way of saying it but it's like you choose your own happy like you choose to be happy it's like um no like no and like I I remember very specifically like reading all this stuff and it was almost like it was like fairies and everything's all good and life is what you make it and I'm just like no like I no, that is not what life is. That is denying a very real part of who you are. And I think, you know, there, of course it's important to, I say it's important to reflect how am I feeling, sit in that feeling in whatever way is safe and comfortable for you, and then take a next step. And that next step might be, you know, doing a breathing exercise, or it might be, you know, today's going to be, tomorrow's going to be you know, another day and like realizing this emotion will pass, but it's not then being like, okay, I'm feeling sad, but no, there's, this is the lesson, like, and all of these things. So, you know, I think social media really perpetuates toxic positivity because it's, everyone wants to be like, oh, like, look at me, how I'm like, was it taking lemons and making lemonade or whatever? Oh, yeah. <laughs> is. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's very difficult, like nuanced conversation. Cause on one hand, I think with eating disorder recovery, like, someone does have to make the choice to change but then there's also the aspect of yes this is also a mental health issue that some days it might be very difficult for you to continue to choose that choice today and how do we find you know that balance whereas I think maybe like life coaching someone's not got to that point of having um Mm-hmm. Mental health issue. It's like the same. Yeah. I sometimes mull this over when I'm like going for a walk. <laughs> I would say, I wonder if this, like, if you, what your thoughts on this? Because I think there's talks of positivity, but then I think, what about it's self compassion? Because I mm-hmm. think when we show our self compassion, 
we can have those days where, you know, we feel our feelings and then we just sit there and we're com- we give ourselves the space to do so and the compassion to, you know, be in our feelings. But then other days it's like, we then want to move forward and we then want to be like, you know, think optimistically. I always like, to me, I feel like self-compassion is like not talked about enough because I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want to say it's the solution to all problems, but approaching anything with self-compassion is like such a beautiful thing to give yourself. Yes. I think you hit on the head. I remember a client saying to me, cause I said about self-compassion and she was like, like jokingly, but oh, okay. I should love myself more. And I was like, no, let's revisit what is self-compassion actually it is like what we were talking about. It's that mindfulness and awareness of your experience, um, that common humanity, knowing that other people um, would be struggling as well. And then obviously that kindness that you're giving to yourself, I think when you look into it more is very helpful. And I really love Dr. Kirsten Neff. She is amazing. She always talks mm-hmm. so eloquently um, about it, but she kind of used the example of self-compassion. Um, I think she said her oh, I can't remember whether it was son or daughter, let's say child, um, has autism. And so the child was um, being quite difficult to handle. And so she was saying compassion for her in that situation was recognizing this is a really difficult day for me. It's okay for me to not feel amazing today. It has been very difficult rather than just like, oh, well, I should be so grateful that my son is here and, you know, trying to flip it to um, the positivity actually you can often move forward so much easier from that acceptance rather than trying to stick some uh, some positive on top of it so yeah I love self-compassion mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I love that awesome um so I'm just wondering so present day that you are a female CEO I know you've just you just raised quite a lot of money um for your company mm-hmm. and so you're mm-hmm. doing all these amazing things Um, What are your kind of top go-to tools to keep you feeling mentally well, I guess? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, rest is so important to me. Um, I think that's very counterproductive, especially in the space that I'm in, you know, being a founder and having to crush it and 24-7. I'm like, no, no. Um, So rest, I sleep like at least eight, if not nine to 10 hours a night. I like, I'm also like a bear that I just need all of the sleep. Um, but then I also always take time off. So at least one day a weekend, if not two days, I actually just had like a week off. So I try to take a week off every three months. Um, so yeah, really, you know, setting that boundary is very, very important to me. Um, because then I also then work all day, the other five days of the week. Um, and I just, you know, that's what works for me. I sprint all week and then I rest on the weekends. Um, but then also journaling, um, you know, that was always the medium. That was the medium that really got me started with dive through. Um, but just, I love having that space. Like when I haven't journaled for a while, I like miss, miss connecting with myself in that way. Like you would miss a friend or a partner, um, to just really have that space for me to just kind of like take note of what's going on. What am I needing right now? So regularly journaling, Um, And then I'm also in therapy biweekly. So I go every second week um, and I'm in some exposure therapy as well, which is really difficult. So that's, you know, coming in compassion there. Um, But yeah, I would say resting, journaling. Um, I don't work out. Um, I still haven't recovered my relationship with it. I try, but it's just like still too, um, too raw for me. Uh, But then also really enjoying food. I love 
to eat. So, you know, having food and celebrate, like it might not be the healthiest, but like celebrating and like, you know, going out for dinner and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I would say, and then the, the big piece is that compassion piece and allowing myself to feel how I'm feeling without having to try to, you know, feel bad about it. Yeah. I wonder with the um, exercise thing, because I have not gone back to like hardcore hit um, type things. I love walking. Like to me, me too. That's I the one thing I can do. Moving. <laughs> like sometimes I'll do yoga if I'm in the mood. Um, got a personal trainer for a little bit. She was very good um, to be fair, but I decided, no, it's not for me, structured exercise. Um, so yeah, I, I guess my question, you kind of answered it was going to be, have you found other forms of like just movement that you enjoy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say walking um, for like before COVID, we had like our gym has like a track and I could walk on that thing for 75 minutes. And I just like it was so great for me or like, you know, a 30 minute walk. And then now I have like a foldable treadmill that I'll set up and power walk. Um, So that would honestly, I also like uh, my body just can't handle it. Like I can't handle any type of intense exercise. I bruise immediately. So power walking is like the only thing my body is like okay. Um, and then like some, you know, some stretching. I also yoga just isn't, I had a yoga phase and then it also wasn't healthy. So I kind of burned that bridge as well. Um, but yeah, I really want to get back into sports though. Like I was very, you know, competitive and competitive sports growing up and I've been feeling very called to like join a team. So maybe when COVID isn't, you know what it is, because I think it's like, we don't have fun anymore. Like my husband is all about having fun and that is like his whole life's mission. And I'm just like the opposite. Um, so, you know, influenced by him, I definitely want to look at getting into, you know, a sport, um, sometime soon. I think that's nice because then you've got the social side of it and then all those other things like, yeah, you're moving your body, but it's giving you so much more, um, Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. You'll have to, well, if I follow you on social media, I, I might see. Um, I was gonna say you'll have to let me know how it goes because I used to do competitive lifesaving. Mm-hmm. I actually did a lifesaving competition in Edmonton. Um oh, before. Goodness. So yeah. Um, but I can't get back into that now because I like, obviously having my own business as well. I just can't make the training times or like I would always like do a competition every weekend, and that was like my life. And I just I tried to get back into it, but I've not uh managed. So we'll see. But mm-hmm. I hope you find the perfect um sport and team um absolutely okay super quick last question um what would you say to someone that came to you and said I just want to eat normally Mm -hmm. I love that I would say well what does that look like for you what do you know what do you love about food what does what does food mean to you and you know outside of you know being something that keeps you alive um I would say defining that and you know what is your body asked for you what what does your body want normal to look like and really starting there which I think is you know the intuitive eating and for me you know eating normally looks like enjoying food and giving my body what it's asking for um and sometimes you know having like sometimes most times you know having a treat you know every other day or every day but it's because my body is like it's that agreement with my body that that's what is best for me both physically and mentally so really looking to navigate that in a really mindful and um, safe way for you amazing so where could people find you if they want to connect more Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can find me across social media at Sophie Gray, Gray with an A. Um, And then you can find Dive Through in the app store at divethrough.com and on social media at Let's Dive Through.
Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Just Eat Normally podcast. I hope you found this enjoyable, interesting and insightful and informative. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to hear the next episode. And just remember that you can check out the show notes for contact details and extra resources. 